You know, politicians are usually very concerned about the legacy they'll leave behind. They want the programs and policies they put in place to continue long after they're gone, and they want to be remembered for what they've done. But as the psalmist noted, even though some think their houses are forever and call their lands after their own names, man in his pomp will not endure. And some politicians actually hasten the demise of their predecessor's legacy. They may do so because of a perceived mandate to lead in another direction or simply in an attempt for personal aggrandizement. But whatever the motivation, most do want to minimize the legacy of others while establishing a legacy of their own. The Apostle Paul was not a politician. And he wasn't concerned about his personal legacy. But he was concerned that the work to which he had committed his post-conversion life continue after his death. And his death was imminent. He knew he would soon be facing the executioner's sword. The dying part didn't bother him. He was ready to go. But he was very concerned about the continuation of the gospel he had proclaimed. He did not want the good news to become yesterday's news. So he wrote to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, and admonished him to guard the treasure which had been entrusted to him. The future of the gospel was in Timothy's hands, in the hands of faithful men and women like him. And since it was imperative that the gospel be kept alive, Timothy couldn't be timid about proclaiming it. Paul had made that clear in the first chapter. He now continues in the first verse of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy could find the power and love and discipline. Paul said he would need to fulfill his ministry in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Christ would make it possible for Timothy to do all that Paul said he would have to do. But it couldn't stop there. Just as Paul would soon be taken to glory, so would Timothy one day. So it was essential that things be done that would assure that the gospel be kept alive long after they're both gone. And in one brief sentence, Paul outlines what must be done to keep the gospel alive in Timothy's day and in ours as well. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach them to others also. If the gospel is to be kept alive, it must be heard. It must be confirmed. It must be entrusted. And it must be taught. He begins, 
and the things which you have heard from me. It wasn't enough for Paul to have proclaimed the gospel. That in itself would not keep it alive, and he knew it. In order for the gospel to be kept alive, Paul knew it must be heard. And he was confident that Timothy had heard it. How did he know? Because he had told it to Timothy? Not necessarily. Have you ever told someone something only to have them hear nothing? I think every parent has. And most spouses have. But Paul knew that Timothy had heard the gospel. How? How did he know it? He had seen his faith. The same faith he had seen in Timothy's mother and grandmother, Paul had seen in Timothy's life. And where does faith like that come from? Paul tells us in Romans that it comes by hearing the word of God. If someone has faith, unshakable trust in God and what he has said, you know he has heard the word of God. The converse is true also. If someone exhibits very little faith, you know he hasn't been listening to God's word. And that should tell you what to do if you want your faith strengthened. Faith comes by hearing, by listening to the word of God, by wanting to hear what God has to say in his word. But sad to say, not everyone wants to hear what God has to say. In fact, many don't want to hear what Jesus had to say. Even in the presence of the master teacher, while he was teaching, they didn't hear what he was saying, and he knew it. Why else would he often end a teaching with, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, we don't have record of anyone actually covering their ears when Jesus spoke, like they did when Stephen was preaching. When they didn't like what he was saying, they cried out with a loud voice and actually covered their ears. They didn't do that to Jesus. And we seldom do that today, but a lot of ears aren't hearing. A lot of people who are physically present when the gospel is preached, when God's word is taught, go away having heard nothing. We know that because they say so. Not in so many words, of course. Instead, they say something like, I just didn't get anything out of that sermon. Or, I don't feel like I'm being fed anymore. When they say that, they're really saying, I wasn't listening. If God's word is being preached, if the Bible is being taught... You can get something out of it, no matter who is teaching it. Now, it may not be served with all the trimmings you'd like, but if God's word is being taught, the bread and butter is on the plate. Now, I do realize that there are churches today where the word of God isn't preached. 
It may be sprinkled in to make a point, but it really isn't preached. And in such churches, there may be nothing on the plate. But if God's word is being served and you're getting nothing out of it, the problem is with you. The problem may be that you have cultivated a taste for nothing but gourmet spiritual food. If the meal you're being served isn't as fancy as those you've heard on the internet, you don't want it. If it isn't arranged just right or served with impeccable style, you lose your appetite. Or maybe the problem is simply that you're not hungry enough when you come to the table. Maybe you're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You've not developed an appetite for the things of God. Or maybe you come like picky kids, having decided before you get to the table that you're not going to like it. You turn off your hearing and just endure the obligatory dinner time. Now, I don't deny that it is possible to make a meal so unattractive that few would want to eat it. But I am convinced that most often it's the attitude of the listener that keeps hearing from taking place, not the quality of the presentation. If we come to worship with resentment and bitterness in our heart, or a critical, judgmental spirit our ears are going to be covered. And we won't be fed spiritually. Even if there's something on the table, we won't fed because we're not ready to eat. If God's word is being taught, you can always be fed. But you've got to be ready and willing to eat. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, Timothy had heard, and that's the first step in keeping the gospel alive. But more is necessary than simply hearing it. You have to know what you've heard is actually true. What you've heard must be confirmed. And the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, Paul says, now, who were these witnesses? Well, they were other hearers who could testify to the truthfulness of what Paul had said. And that's an important element in public preaching and teaching. And it's often overlooked. It's not enough for the preacher to preach and the hearers to hear. It's imperative that the message being proclaimed be confirmed as true. So how are the hearers of the message, the gospel message in particular, to know that the message is true? Well, obviously in our day, they can check it out against the written word. But the written word wasn't complete in Paul's day. So how could they know what they were hearing was true? I think they looked for confirmation from others who could testify to its truthfulness. 
And that initial confirmation actually took place while the preacher was preaching. How? By the agreement of the audience. Those who had already heard the message made it obvious that they agreed with what was being said. And they could testify to its truthfulness. Now, how did they do that? Well, first, by the expressions on their face. By nodding their heads. And I'm not talking about nodding off. And by their actually saying so. Maybe even getting excited enough to shout amen. I'm real sorry that uh, Dan didn't come today. I figured he'd say amen at that point. You may not realize it, but when Christians gather for preaching, they should come not only to hear, but also to be witnesses for the gospel. You may have heard the teaching before. You may have personally studied the text. You may even have heard a better sermon on the passage being expounded. And if that's true, do you express disappointment and figure you wasted your time by coming? No. You confirm the message for others. You make it clear that you agree with what's being said because people need that kind of confirmation even today. Even with the scriptures available to confirm what's being said, most people will get their first sense of confirmation from the audience that's hearing the message. If no one is responding to the message or if few have even bothered to come hear it, they're going to assume it's not very important. And they'll be less apt to really listen. That's why it's important that you come every Sunday. And that you listen responsibly and responsively. You're not just here to hear something you haven't heard before. You're also here to be a witness for what's being said. And that gives added purpose for coming, and it's crucial. If the gospel message is to be heard, it must be confirmed. And if you came for the first time and found a full house of enthusiastic listeners, wouldn't you be more apt to listen than if you came to a house that was almost empty with just a few bored listeners? I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would. For the sake of those around you, come ready to listen. And if you agree with what's being said, make it obvious. I wouldn't even mind an occasional amen. The gospel must be heard and it must be confirmed. But even that's not the end of it. Because just hearing and believing it won't assure its survival into the next generation must also be entrusted to others. And just as Paul had entrusted the treasure of the gospel to Timothy, who would pass it on after Paul was gone, so would Timothy have to entrust it to others as well. 
These entrust to faithful men. Timothy was to find faithful men to whom he could entrust the gospel. Men that he could teach extensively and who would then be able to teach others. It almost sounds like Paul was expecting Timothy to start a Bible college of sorts. And in effect, he was. He was to find faithful men who were committed to learning all they could about the gospel and then pour his life and his teaching into them. Obviously, that can and should happen at a Bible college. But it shouldn't be limited to college campuses. It can and should also take place in the local church. And it does. There are some who make it very obvious that they want to know everything they can about God's word. They are present at every opportunity to learn. And they soak up God's word like a sponge. These people are to be entrusted with the fullness of the gospel. And they are to be encouraged to get all they can. And in some cases, that may actually mean encouraging them to go on to a Bible college, to pursue studies in God's Word on a level beyond that which is available in the local church. There's always a need for men and women who will commit themselves to a deeper study of God's Word. And these often become our preachers, our educators, our scholars, our professors. And obviously, those who do such are an important link in keeping the gospel alive for the next generation. But they are not the only ones with the responsibility of preserving the gospel. In fact, Paul told Titus to appoint elders in local churches who would hold fast to the faithful word and be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. That means elders have a responsibility to know the word. And they have a responsibility to keep preachers and educators and scholars and professors faithful to the word. And if you know the gospel, you do too. There needs to be accountability in the house of God. I don't expect you just to swallow everything I say. I expect you to search it out. I expect you to think. I expect you to discuss among yourselves. I expect you to, to confirm what's being taught by getting into the word yourself. And then the message becomes yours. Not just hearsay. Do you see the difference? That's why we do what we do at Chatham Christian Church. We want you to know God's word. We are entrusting it to you. We're giving it to our kids so they can pass it on. And some of us actually are getting older. I find that shocking. The other day in the elders' meeting, we were deciding who's going to pray for whom. And, and, and we, we kind of divide up who's going to pray for 
the, the young people or the teachers or our missionaries and, and uh, for the senior citizens. And it ended up, the only man left was senior citizens. I said, boy, I have a hard time figuring out who that is. And someone said, it's your peers. <laughs> so, you know, God has given us the opportunity to know him, to understand him, to embrace the gospel. Let's not keep it to ourselves. Let's share it. Let's learn all we can. Let's take advantage of every opportunity we have to get into the word so we can share it with somebody else, okay? Let's keep the gospel alive. You can be in the Word. You can read it yourself. I'm tickled to death that so many of you rose to the challenge to be reading through this year. And it delights me to hear the, the questions that come from it and the struggles. I say, man, that's hard. But, oh, I'm learning something. Get in the Word. Get in the Word. And once you know it, it's been entrusted to you for the next generation. It's just not for you. Okay? It's for the next generation. But that doesn't mean it can simply be held in trust. If we're going to keep the gospel alive, we've got to hear it. We've got to confirm it. We've got to accept it as a trust for others, and then we've got to teach it. Paul continues in that second verse. Who will be able to teach others also? It does no good to guard the gospel if it isn't shared with someone else. If we lock it up securely in some sacred vault, it will die. It has to be taught to be kept alive. Now, obviously, some are more able and gifted than others when it comes to teaching. And they should certainly be encouraged to commit themselves to formal teaching in the church and in pulpits and in our college lecture halls. They should be our Sunday school teachers and our youth sponsors and our preachers and our professors but we must never forget that all of us have a responsibility to teach as well. Everyone to whom the gospel has been entrusted has an obligation to teach it to others. The gospel is good news. And good news is shared by everyone. You don't hear good news and say, well, I hope someone tells someone else about it. You share it. You share it. So whether you do it formally or informally, every one of us is a teacher. And we do teach to others what we know. That's what separates us from animals. We are all teachers. We're passing on our knowledge to others. Be sure you're passing on the gospel. If you know it, teach it. And take your teaching seriously. Realize that when you teach the gospel in word and in deed, you are a link in an unbroken chain that goes back to Christ. 
And if you'll do that, your life will take on new meaning. And the gospel will be kept alive. If you know the story, tell it. And if you really know and love the story, you'll love to tell it. Let's commit ourselves to telling that story that we love to others. Let's stand.